Our reading today in our third week of this series in Proverbs is from Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 through 12. Solomon writes these words. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a, wise, a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this morning is an epic morning for all y'all. All y'all. This is Zach Hines. Zach Hines is a pastoral resident here. He's working on finishing up his Master of Divinity at uh, Phoenix Seminary. Uh, Zach has a long history of presenting in front of people. He was, in his former life, he was a DJ for a number of years. Um, he's also done uh, many Bible studies, and uh, he loves God, and he loves God's Word, but this morning is his first ever Sunday morning sermon. And, and the reason it's epic for you all... Uh, he hasn't done anything yet. Um, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> the reason it's epic for you all is because in another several years, someday Zach will be up here, he's going to be an old pro, and you're going to be able to elbow the person next to you, and you're going to say, I remember his first. <laughs> so take it away, Zach. <laughs> well, good morning. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, good morning. Uh, it was funny when I got here this morning, everyone's like, Zach, it's your big day. It's your big day. And I got married less than a year ago, and this is not my big day. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is not my big day, but like Frank said, my name is Zach. I'm a pastoral resident here. It's basically like a pastor in training. I get to learn from Frank and Tyler and Trey, um, all the wheelings and dealings of a pastor. Um, and it's been great, and I love it. Um, Welcome. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to open up God's Word and to see what it has for us today. If you're new here, welcome. I would love to meet you. My job is actually to meet new people um, and get them connected with the church. And so uh, if you're new, I would love to meet you in the back after service. Um, but as we get <clears throat> into the series of Proverbs, back into what, what, where we're going today, let's recap where we've been. And so in the first week, Frank and Trey, they came up and they talked about the audience of the book of Proverbs. They talked about how it's a father writing to his son, but also they talked about it being this neutral party, someone towing the line of whether to turn down the path of wisdom or the path of foolishness, folly. Um, and so this, this book of Proverbs is written to what the author of Proverbs calls the simple. Um, and it's not simple in regard to intelligence level, but it's simpleness in regard to youthfulness or naivety. They don't know, and so they're walking the path. And we'll get to see that a little bit later um, as they, they <clears throat> wisdom and folly call out to the simple to walk their path. And then last week, Trey, Pastor Trey came up and he talked about instruction and the importance of instruction um, as we walk out our faith following Jesus. He shared with us uh, fraily original proverbs such as many years mean much wisdom 
or sorry, many years, oh gosh, many years means much experience. Much experience does not mean much wisdom. Or instruction heard is good. Instruction applied is wisdom. God's word is our primary avenue for instruction. But we also not only have to love what is written in, the, in God's word, but we have to love the way that it is written. We have to love what is written and the way that it is written. So that means that we love the grammar. We love the syntax. We love the word choice. We love the pericopes, which is your $5 seminary word for passages with significantly less syllables. (laughs) Instruction is good for us. But what happens when we receive instruction and we decide not to follow it? Instruction, Instruction unheeded requires correction. And so, when we don't heed that call from wisdom, we need to be corrected from the path of folly and get back onto the path of the wise living. And so, from our text today, there are three key points that I would love for us to see. I would love for us to see what, what is lying there for the person who rejects correction. I would love for us to see what is lying there for the wise who receive correction. And I'd love for us to see at the end of this uh, the, the impetus or who is responsible at the end of the day for the path that we choose to walk. Um, so let's pray uh, as we start our time. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word and its truth. God, I pray that you would illuminate our minds that we might have right understanding of your word. Um, give us wisdom, Lord. Be the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. Lord God, I pray that you would speak through me um, and that you would convict us of sin um, and help us to turn to you in repentance and in faith. We love you, Lord Jesus. We're thankful for this time. And we ask these prayers in your name. Amen. So let me pose a question. Do you love correcting people? I love correcting people. Uh, <laughs> it's, I, I've, it's a dopamine rush I've never experienced before. Uh, I'm highly opinionated, uh, and my opinions are truth. And I'm also a contrarian, and so I have very niche opinions that are truth, and my wife loves it. Uh, usually, my opinions have to do with, with movies or, or things of non-consequence, but my correcting of people about my opinions is never rooted in the benefit of the other person. It's always benefited in the, for me, right? I'm correcting you so I can feel, feel better or superior, and it's always wrong. Biblical correction, however, rightly applied correction is actually a good thing. And it is for the benefit of others. I think it's safe to say for, for all of us in here that I'm not only speaking for myself, but I'm speaking for all of us when I say I love correcting people and oftentimes it's for the wrong reasons. Let me pose the better question. Are you open to correction? Our default response is like, Zach, totally. I can receive critique. I can receive feedback. I can receive uh, criticisms and not let it get to me whatsoever. And I can receive it in wisdom humbly. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Uh, But the truth is, when we leave this church, we actually are out in a world that's shaping us to take correction not as a gift, but as an affront to the very core of our being. If you give correction, you actually hate the person that you're correcting. 
Again, we have to ask the question, what does God's word have to say about correction? Because in Christ and in humility and with discernment, we're capable of receiving correction in order that we might apply it to our lives as instruction. But again, oftentimes when I receive correction, I don't like to be found out to be wrong. I don't like to be lacking, and I definitely don't like when my sins are pointed out. Um, So I often proceed in foolishness. One example of such foolishness is last summer when my family, my newly acquired family through the covenant of marriage, uh, went on a vacation to Omro, Wisconsin. And we stayed in a cabin or a house on a lake uh, in Oshkosh. It was very, very cool. Lake Butamore, I guarantee you could not spell that if you tried right now. Um, But we stayed on this lake, and the two unspoken rules of staying in this cabin are you have to get in the lake or float on the lake, and you have to watch tennis. Both of those things at the time are a no-go for me. I do not like dirty water, and I do not like tennis at this point. And so we go out on the lake and I'm doing, I'm doing my husbandly duties and I get in the water and then I come back in and we're watching tennis and I'm scoffing, actually openly scoffing. And I'm like, tennis is terrible. It's lame. Oh, 15 love. And, <laughs> and, and they're like, Zach, you have to get the, the tennis that's on this computer screen. You have to get it on our TV so we can all watch it. And I'm like, no. Uh, <laughs> But I do it anyways, and I get it on the screen, and the Lord starts working. <laughs> I start to watch tennis, and I start to watch the rhythm and the back and forths, and the, they always celebrate like this. <laughs> they always celebrate like this. And I start to see the beauty that is the game of tennis. And <clears throat> uh, as I'm watching it, my wife is correcting me. Her family is correcting me. They're telling me tennis is good. And by the end of this trip, I'm actually walking the better path of life, understanding that tennis is the greatest game there is. (laughs) How many times, I know that's cheeky, but how many times have we received instruction and correction and thought uh, we received it from our coworkers or loved ones or uh, our supervisors at work or even our children and thought, who are you to correct me? Who are you to tell me what to do? Remember, correction is good when rooted in God's will. And we have to receive correction when we lose sight of the fear of the Lord. So let's turn to an example from Scripture. Let me tell you about a time when David acted wisely and got onto the path of wisdom. And so it starts when he commits adultery with Bathsheba, which is not wise, by the way. Uh, But it starts there. He commits this adultery. He then recognizes the error of his ways, but he's not recognizing it in the fact that he sinned against the Lord. He's trying to cover his own butt. So then he organizes Uriah being sent to the front lines of the battlefield so that he would die in battle. Um, And he covers up this conspiracy to cover uh, his own. He doesn't want to get implicated in this. And so then the prophet Nathan comes along and he tells them a story about a rich man who owns a ton of sheep and a poor man who has one little ewe lamb. And the rich man has everything that he could ever want and he receives a guest. And you know, when you have guests over, you prepare a nice meal and he prepares a nice meal, but he doesn't want to tap into his reserves. 
because God forbid you lose all your sheep. Uh, And so he takes this poor man's one sheep and he takes it, prepares it for a meal and the man loses it. And David's anger is kindled and he says, as the, as the Lord lives, surely this man must die. And Nathan flips the script and he says, you are that man. And in that moment, the Lord used Nathan to actually instruct him to get back and correct him to get back on the path of wisdom because we get to see it in how David responded. David responds not with anger or frustration, but with worship. He fasts and and is disciplined by the Lord. And at the end of the discipline, when the child dies, he says, okay. And he worships the Lord for who he is. David is set back on the path of wisdom in the same way that my wife and her family corrected me of the error of my ways. (laughs) Riding my steps to the path of life that is the sport of tennis. She's still trying to correct me for liking Novak Djokovic, uh, who dominated last night, by the way, against Manorino, just in case you were wondering. Uh, But when we receive instruction, we can respond in one of two ways. We can either do the instruction and we walk wisely, or we can reject it. And that's when we're in need of correction. And that comes through reproof or rebuke, discipline, as we saw in the David story. Or we can receive it. Uh, There does not seem to be a third avenue in Scripture upon what I've seen as I've read. And I'm sure you've seen that as well. There's the path of life or the path of death. The, The first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch or the Torah. And in Hebrew, that word literally means instruction. So God's word is given to us for instruction. If we reject it, we need correction. However, if you continually reject correction, Solomon would call you a scoffer, which we got to hear when we were reading earlier. See what Solomon says in Proverbs 19.27. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray away from knowledge. Correction is needed when instruction goes unheeded. Throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, Israel is being corrected for them turning away from the Lord, for their failings to heed his instruction, and it culminates with their exile to Babylon. Another proverb, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Now, I'm not calling you stupid. God said that. God said that. If you reject correction, God is saying that you are acting stupidly. But we have to acknowledge that stupidity here is actually a choice, just as walking wisely is a choice. So we can choose to walk the stupid path, or we can walk the wise path. And lastly, the one who is acting stupidly, again, he would call a scoffer. Proverbs 21, 24 says, scoffer is the name of the arrogant haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. The scoffer says, I know the way. Who are you? What right do you have to correct me? The scoffer delights in his own pride, in his own hubris. The humble ponder, discern, and apply instruction. Simply put, correction is needed when instruction is unheeded. Getting to the text we read earlier, I hope you'll see again with me today the errors of the scoffer rejecting correction, the benefits of the wise person receiving it, and the 
end of the day result of what happens when we choose our paths. And so if you have your Bibles, we're in Hebrews, or sorry, I almost said Hebrews. Uh, We're in Proverbs 9, starting in verse 7. Solomon writes, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. These are striking words against the scoffer. They've received the instruction, and it's gone unheeded. You can look no further again to the cancel culture of our day to see foolish behavior on display. We see evidence of abuse towards others, injurious behavior, and hatred in response to correction. Those are the the three words that are key in this phrase. Uh, Abuse, injury, and hatred on part of the scoffer. Cultural proverbs would read something like this. If you do not affirm what I believe, you are hurting me. Or, if you try to correct me, you hate me. Try tweeting or xing something, uh, someone a differing opinion, and you would have thought the world was coming to an end. The good news, though, that this is culture. This is the world outside of the church. This never infiltrates the church whatsoever. We are good to go. We always treat one another with love and respect, and we always uh, point one another towards the love, uh, love of Christ and humility, and we never, never, ever are we getting in one another's way and <laughs> causing them to lose sight of their faith. <laughs> hey, I got it. <laughs> uh, so James says, the anger of man does not produce righteousness, right? And we're all human. We all get angry. And so just because the world reacts in one way doesn't mean that we're supposed to, but we are absolutely equally as able to be tempted as they are. As those not in Christ, we can be tempted to scoff just as much as they can. Sometimes that anger makes us scoffed and receive correction as an affront to our core being. Consider these Proverbs that Solomon writes. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. That's 14.12. If we pursue our own desires and do not heed correction, that path leads to death. Another one, 15.10 says, There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. So just keeping a comprehensive list of where we've been, haters of reproof are stupid, and there's death for those who reject those reproofs. So stupidity, death. Another proverb, 26.4, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So don't meet the fools where the fools dwell, lest you be like them, which as above, the fool is stupid and is on the path to death. It's a stupid path. Death. (laughs) Remember, we need to love wisdom more than we love what seems right. That proverb said, there is a way that seems right to a man, but that way leads to death. We need to love wisdom more than that. The haters of reproof will die, yet the difference between the one who belongs to the Lord and the one who belongs to the world is that we are able, as followers of Christ, to respond to the correction that we receive. The worldly scoffer is unable to see the value of wisdom because the biblical wisdom is spiritually discerned. We need the Holy Spirit. That's in 1 Corinthians. 
The worldly scoffer is incapable of seeing the value of wisdom, which is why Jesus in Matthew 7 says, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them and turn to attack you. If you cast your wisdom, your biblical, wise, Christ-like wisdom to worldly scoffers without relationship and without first doing your own self-assessments, you are casting your pearls before pigs. And what Jesus is not doing here is calling those people pigs. He's making an illustration. He's, he's attributing them to pigs because like pigs, they cannot see the value of what's in front of them. They can't see the value of the pearl, and so they trample them underfoot and then attack you, which is what we've seen so far through Solomon's Proverbs. We have to see the value of that wisdom or we become scoffers. So church, do not fall for the worldly temptation to scoff. The world scoffs and it scoffs often. Let's be people that constantly ask for the Lord's help to receive correction in humility. We have to ask the Lord to keep us from the temptation to scoff. That's why we pray, deliver us from evil. Scoffing is our default, and that default leads us to death. So Lord, help us now. Moving into our second observation from this text, consider this from Solomon. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain knowledge. Reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain knowledge. Correction is good, and the wise receive correction. So continuing on in verse 8, the halfway of verse 8. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. A common characteristic here of the wise man is the humility and the desire to learn. They receive instruction, and they receive it joyfully. The receiver loves the corrector. That's, that was shocking to me. When you are corrected by someone walking in wisdom, you love the person correcting you. You don't hate them. They become wiser, and they increase in learning. Solomon highlights the value of correction towards a wide person in Proverbs 17.10. He says, a, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. So one word of correction, one word of rebuke, is better than attempting to put a hundred blows or a hundred attacks onto a fool. Uh, that's what the Hebrew word conveys um, <clears throat> there. Listen to this proverb. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I don't know about you, but I love kisses. Specifically and exclusively from my wife. Uh, So someone else kissing me is already a red flag. Uh, But for the sake of example... According to this proverb, it would be better for my wife to wound me with a word of correction than for me to receive kisses from an enemy. The wounds of a friend are sweet compared to the flatteries of a scoffer. And so you don't have to turn here, but I'm going to read from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Our default is to go after other people's specks, right? We, We love correcting other people. But we have a log problem of our own. We must first be concerned with our own logs before we can be concerned with other people's specks. The scoffer can accept wisdom and instruction, but the wise are able to see the value of what is being shared. They can discern its value and intention. They can see the pearl for what it's worth. We have to be open to the rebukes of our friends through wisdom and discernment and recognize our own logs. We image Christ when we receive correction that points us back to our intended design of imaging him. This is important to understand because when we read about idolatry in the Old Testament, it helps us understand the significance of these foreign gods, these statues and and images that these, these Israelites make. We are image bearers, and when we image the one true God, we can see and hear. When we reject correction, we reject God, and we begin to image the things that we actually start to worship. G.K. Beale writes a book titled, You Are What You Worship. And so if you worship, like the Israelites, a golden calf, the image, when you worship that calf, that statue, you image that statue by not being able to see or hear because statues cannot see or hear, right? When we image the one true living God, we actually can see and hear the ways to get back onto the path of wisdom. Consider this stool. This stool was designed for a purpose. It has an intention, and there is something to be done with this stool, similar to us. When it's not living out its intended design, this is no longer, it needs to be corrected. It's not doing what it needs to do. I could sit on this stool for a little bit, It would be uncomfortable, and it would maybe break. I don't know. Uh, It is an older stool. It's been here the whole time I've been at this church, Um, so I don't know. But it's not doing what it's designed to do. When we correct it, it is now doing what it is designed to do, and that's the same thing that correction does for us. Correction points us back to the path where we can do what we are designed to do, and that is to image God. The purpose is to restore our brothers and sisters back to that image, and the Bible has much to say about that. You can look in the gospel, the gospel of Matthew chapter 18 or James chapter 5, correction gets us back on the path. And as we compare the scoffer to the wise, the, my prayer for us would be that we would first be concerned with our own logs. Yes, we know that there are specks in others. They're tempting to pull out so, so tempting, but we must do the hard work of lifting our own logs with the Lord's help, or we're in danger of becoming the very people that, that crucified Jesus because they thought they knew better than he. This example of Peter trying to correct the Lord after he just received this beautiful blessing um, in, in the Gospels, Peter, it comes to him and he says, well, you told me you're going to 
you're going to die to, to reign, bring in your kingdom. And you, that's not true. That's wrong. You're wrong, Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let us be wise and set our th- mind on the things of God. So finally, moving into our third observation from today, continuing in verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. Here we see the bookend closure to the introductory section of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9. The discourse between the Father and the Son ends where it began, in the fear of the Lord. And this is not a terror-like fear. This is, this is, uh, it can convey that, but it's actually a fear of reverence or awe. Um, think of a, a child uh, in awe and reverence of their parent who can correct them, but also loves them deeply. We cannot be wise if we do not rightly fear God in all ways and who he's revealed himself to be. We must be in awe of his splendor and we must rejoice in his justice. We must delight in his love, but be fearful and be fearful of his wrath. The Lord is not made up of parts. We receive him in his entirety or we do not receive him at all. He is our Savior and our Lord. Proverbs 1, 7, where we began, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then in verse 11, wisdom calls out to us, saying that our days can be multiplied and years can be added. Will we answer that call? Finally, where does that leave us? Well, let's consider the final verse of our passage. Uh, Verse 12. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. At the end of the day, when Christ returns or calls you home, each of us are going to stand before the Lord alone. As Kobe said earlier up here, the Bible has much to say about money and many other things. Parenting, uh, the indulgence of passions, and so much more to our everyday experience. But ultimately, the book of Proverbs The book of wisdom is about two paths. Job states, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. We will, at the end of the day, regardless of anything you have here on earth, stand before the Lord and give an account for the life that we lived. Were we a fool, or were we wise? Biblical scholar Derek Kidner states in his commentary about this verse specifically, he says, your character is the one thing you cannot borrow lend, or escape, for it is you. When we find ourselves standing before the righteous God, again, wise or foolish? Were we deceived or were we discerning? The rest of chapter 9 of Proverbs, it's very beautiful chapter, uh, is this little bookend um, of the, the passage that we studied, verses 7 through 12, verses 1 through 6, and 13 through 18 are two parties, uh, as, as one of my friends Josh would say. These are two parties that are happening. The first one, wisdom is throwing. Um, <clears throat> Wisdom's built her house, hewn seven pillars, slaughtered her beast. She's mixed wine. She's set her table, sent out young women to call. Whoever's simple, let them turn in here. Come, eat of my bread, drink wine, leave your simple ways, and live. 
and walk in the way of insight. Her party sounds great. Uh, <laughs> she's proactive in her planning. She's intentional. She's caring. She's concerned for the person on the path. She invites you to walk. And most encouragingly, she invites you to live. Folly's party, on the other hand, is not as great. Uh, she is loud, deceptive. She has no knowledge. She's sitting around taking what's not hers. Uh, she takes the path of least resistance. She's stolen the supplies for the feast. And ultimately, her company find themselves in the depths of Sheol. Her path leads to death. In verse 15, is striking. She calls to the simple, and her target is you. Her target is you walking the path of wisdom, following Jesus. She is targeting you, and the temptation is actually to go to her party. Because going to her party is easy. Going to her party is easy. It's way easier to be carried by waves than to paddle against them. Walking the narrow path of wisdom requires care, intention, proactivity. If you want to wake up at 2.30 a.m. with Pastor Frank, it doesn't start at 2.30 a.m. It starts at dusk the night before. Choosing to go to bed at 4.56 p.m., knowing the Blackhawks are playing at 7 and Jackie's not home from work yet. <laughs> Wisdom takes intentionality. From our study today, we've seen the foolishness of being the one who scoffs at correction. We've seen the benefit of receiving instruction and correction, and we understand the need to fear the Lord and know that we will give an account for the path we choose to walk. Scoffers reject, the wise receive, and you alone will bear it. But there's one aspect of our lives <clears throat> that is in dire need of drastic correction. And we're incapable of addressing it on our own. And that's the problem of our sin. Paul writes in Romans that the wage for our sin, the paycheck we receive for our sin before the Lord is death. The entirety of the book that is called the Bible, all of the scriptures, is a story pointing us to the living God who made us to image him. And every time that we rejected that to walk the path of folly, he did not leave us to our own devices. He set in motion a plan starting in chapter, or sorry, page three of the Bible, culminating in the second member of the Trinity, the Son, incarnating as a man to walk the path of wisdom we are incapable of walking on our own. Bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, he was fully God, fully man. He lives a perfect life in our stead and is killed by the very people who scoff at this instruction. He provided for their good, for our good. And penultimately was crucified unjustly. From the cross he declared, it is finished. The error of sin had been corrected as he breathed his last. Yet, that's why I said penultimately, having walked the path of life, the way of wisdom, which we established, is life. Death could not hold him. He was raised on the third day, and he ascended to heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us now. Because the path of wisdom is life. This is good news. This is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The cross is the ultimate correction of the curse of the garden, and we can receive the correction to the most grievous of errors, 
simply by believing. Will we receive this free gift of correction? I think it would be foolish not to. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and its truth. Lord God, I ask that you would make us wise. Help us to walk the way of wisdom. Lord, help us to see the, wis- the party that wisdom is throwing and help us to delight in, in attending that one, Lord. Lord, we don't want to walk the easy path. We want to walk the faithful path. And so, God, we ask for your help in that today. Protect us from the temptation to scoff um, and lead us um, into your, <clears throat> your kingdom here today, Lord. Be with us as we continue this time of worship. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask these prayers in your name. Amen.